At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. For many years, many have asked the question, what if God was one of us? Through the incarnation of Jesus, God answered that question, and Jesus became one of us. Every year for centuries, Christians have celebrated the miracle of Jesus' birth. This Christmas season, we're diving into a new series, Emmanuel, God with us. Learning how the arrival of Jesus Christ changes everything. He came to save us, a broken and crooked world, a fallen people. Join us this Christmas as we explore the miracle of Jesus' incarnation and the impact it still has on us. that song, I actually think about a moment when I was able to go to Glacier National Park in uh, Montana. And I remember for some reason, my phone had only been able to download one song and the internet wasn't working, which is scary enough as it is. And we were driving through uh, Glacier National Park and we were just playing on repeat over and over again, build my life. And I remember going through the mountains and seeing waterfalls on the left and right side and these beautiful trees and, again, the mountains and nature and going over these rolling rivers, rapids, and just looking and saying, how can someone not believe in God? Just look, look at it, the fingerprints that he has on this world. And so when I think of that, every time I'm just filled, filled up thinking about that moment, driving, recognizing God's beauty. And so I'm, I'm grateful that we can worship and declare that God is the one we can build our life upon. Can I get an amen? Amen. So with that being said, let me pray for us and we'll jump into the message. Father, thank you so much that we can gather together as a church family. I mean, as we get closer to Christmas to see that we even have had a nice couple weekends where it's 50, 60 degrees, uh, we celebrate those and uh, get some of the final outdoor chores done before the winter. And I just, again, I'm so grateful that we can be a church, that we get to worship your name, that we get to gather and serve and recognize who you are. We love you so much. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Uh, if you heard in announcements, we actually are having a marriage weekend here, January 26th and 27th. And we got the signups downstairs near the Connect desk. After service, go down there, sign up. So it's uh, $20 for a couple. And if you're single, $15. And then we're going to have that, again, Friday night, January 26th, and then Saturday. And it goes Saturday to 1 o'clock. And it's called the Genesis of Marriage, something we're very excited about. Often we, we hear from our church family that, man, we want more equipping with what it looks like to be a healthy marriage, to be healthy parents, or, or maybe for those who are looking to get married. 
Um, those, those are areas where we want to give you the tools you need. So we've been looking to do this for a while now, but even if you don't got the money on you, just go downstairs, sign up, sign your name and number, and we'll contact you. And uh, if the time uh, works out with your schedule, you can be a part of that weekend. So again, after service, remember to sign up. So that being said, I share stories often about my either love for sports or uh, my time when I was living in my glory days playing sports. And so thinking back, my earliest memories of playing a sport come uh, in my kindergarten years. And I remember being on the soccer team, and it seemed super intense at the time. Like, I'm like, that was my rival in first grade. Now I watch my first graders. I'm like, really? You know, is that, that me out there? Because, man, it's, they're just like a clump of people running together. It's so fun. But the thing is this. When you play sports or interact with athletes, you have interacted with some very interesting people. Right? There's some big personalities in sports, right? Has anyone played a sport and you have some people that they might be, uh, what do we say politely? A self-confident, right? Like you can think back. Maybe it's you're playing sports right now. Maybe you've coached. Maybe it's years, decades ago, and you still remember that person. And we probably have some of those people in this church, right? Uh-huh. Okay, I see. People are like, nope, don't look at me. My wife's looking right at me right now. But the whole point is this. There's a lot of personalities in this world, and sports are one of those where you see that it's almost glorified to be not humble, to be overly confident, to be egotistical, to brag about yourself. And you see athletes over the years, some of the most famous ones, the Terrell Owens, the uh, Chad Ochocinco. He even changed his last name from Chad Johnson to Chad Ochocinco. And, and so the confidence there to some of the other people, the LeBron James, Charles Barkley's, Allen Iversons, and whether you're on a diamond, a field, an ice rink, often it's those people, those larger-than-life figures that we tend to, to highlight, am I wrong? But it doesn't just need to be in a sport. It, it could be in our world. It, it could be with sales. It, it could be in the business world. It, it could be in our home. That we tend to look to those people who, who paint the picture that they got all the answers. That they are the ones who have the skills, the superiority, the arrogance. And so it makes us think about, is it even worth it to be humble? Is it even worth it to live a life of humility in a world that tends to glorify or praise those who press forward, who are driven, who don't care who they step on, they don't care what it takes, they will get it done. And humility is one of those elusive characteristics in our world, in our society, and those who pursue it, those who are actually humble are usually not the ones that are saying it. You think about people in this world, the ones who say they're humble, right? Like, I just want to say, man, I am so humble. 
I'm so glad I can be a humble pastor to you guys, right? Like, not to brag, but I'm one humble dude, right? Like, those are the ones that are the least humble. Those are the ones you should keep your eye on because they are highlighting and almost bragging about how humble they are. And so you think about this, and Jesus, the one who we're supposed to follow, was the divine embodiment of humility. He was the definition of humility, and he's the one we are supposed to follow and look to. And so when we talk about following Jesus' example, his humble example, I can't help but think about a song that I saw on Thursday when I dropped off my daughter at preschool. So she's walking in line, and, and they're singing Follow the Leader, and she turns away and waves at me every couple minutes, and I start dabbing, and all the parents are looking at me, and like, oh, and then I'm the only one left. And so they're singing Follow the Leader, and they're walking back. And, and so when you think about the idea of following, we all are following something. We, are, we all are looking to something. And so when it comes to Christ, are we looking and grasping and chasing after how he lived, how to follow him and his example? And Emmanuel, our series we're talking about, is God with us. God coming to be with us. Fully God, fully human. His example that we can look after, that we can chase after. And even better yet, he says, I'm going to give you my very spirit so you can be changed from the inside out. So you can start to model from my very spirit what it looks like to follow me. And, and so with Christ and his example, I can't think of a better place than Philippians chapter 2. And that's going to be the text we're talking about today. And actually, I was reading through different commentaries and scholars on this. And, and a lot of scholars believe this was an old hymn. They look at the rhythmic approach to it. They look at the poetry. And, and they believe, a lot of people much smarter than myself, believe that this is a hymn and showing the humility of Christ. Well, in, in this letter, this is actually written by a dude by the name of Paul. And Paul, he actually planted this church. So it wasn't just a church. It was a church that God used him through to plant, to develop. And it was in a, in a city called Philippi. And so we have the Philippians in the church of Philippi. And so he writes them a letter. And when he's writing the letter to them, he's encouraging them, right? Hey, stay the course, stay the faith, stay through persecution. But he also isn't just writing to encourage them. He's also writing to, to tell them, hey, here are some threats that could be the end of this church. Like, these are going to be some threats that could literally destroy what God has built through you. And the threats, one of them, false teaching. We talked a lot about that last week. Man, the word of God. Let this shape us. Let this be the point of reference of truth in this world. And this needs to be what we focus on, even to question me, even to challenge and look at it for yourself, to study it yourself. And so he says, hey, false teaching, heretical teaching, that will be the end of you. He also talked about division in which they had two people that were causing division in their church. It doesn't take much. It doesn't take much, people. 
It took a couple people, and, and he didn't just say, okay, throw them out. We see some of the ways that he shows how we are to approach them. So he's writing to them as a church he planted, a church in Philippi, in a Roman province, which, by the way, Rome was very similar to what we're dealing with today in our society, where they didn't highlight humility. They didn't glorify humility. I mean, it was bigger, it was better, it was power, it was accolades, and they actually looked down on people who would be considered humble. And so in the midst of this, this Roman society, bigger, better, faster, we have Paul telling them to take on the nature of the humble savior of this world, which would have been completely countercultural. It would have shook the foundations of those people that they had built for decades. And so Paul's answer is Jesus' incarnation. It's Jesus' incarnation, the Son of God becoming fully human. He was the picture of humility, and he was the perfect expression of humility that we are to look for. But my question is, how do we do that? Okay, be humble. Be this, be that. How? How can I pursue humility like Jesus? And it's just like we put up seconds ago. We are to follow his example. We are to look at him. And we do this. We're going to talk about three ways. And we're going to have three different things we need to consider that can help us follow in the footprints of Jesus. The very first one that we can follow and consider is consider your position. Consider your position. Look at Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to start with verses 3 through 4. It says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only look out to his own interests, but also look out for the interests of of others. And so here, Jesus' example all comes down to how we relate to one another. And, and this is how we relate to one another. In Paul's call for unity, he's saying, hey, do nothing with the heart of selfish ambition because it's the internal attitude that they're facing. We've got a lot of people that do a lot of good things, but the internal attitude we can't see. We have a lot of people that serve, that give, that invest. But he's saying, when we do those things, we're doing it not for selfish ambition, not for gain, not for prestige, not for someone to scratch us on the back. We are doing this because Christ is calling us to live with the nature that he lived. He came, as Mark 10, 42 said, he came not to be served, but what? But to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And so when we live with a heart that's focused on our own interests and our own ambitions and our own conceit, that causes rivalry and division. And it, you can go in any field, in any world, in the business world, in, in the collegiate world, in the church world. And there could be underlining competition. 
And when we do that, we are without understanding. Because instead of the me first, competitive, climb the ladder approach, Paul is challenging us to consider our lives in regards to our relationships with others. And he uses these words, selfish ambition. He uses the word conceit. Let's throw these up here. The, the Greek word for selfish ambition is erethia. And, and the Greek word for conceit is kenodoxia, which has to do with speaking to one-upmanship. One the one-upper, right? I've mentioned this before. We all got a one-upper. And I always say, if I'm the one-upper, call me out, Right? Because the thing is with this, it is I live and I have this internal operating system that's going on and I might not know it, but I live with a mode to compete. And so then it gets into motive. Why do I do what I do? Why do I want to achieve? Why do I want this degree? Why do I want this job? Why do I want this pay grade? Why do I serve in this way? Why do I not serve in this way? Why do I think with this mode? And he's saying to consider our position. Consider where we are. As verse 3 says, in humility, count others as more important than yourself. And this is, this is stunning because the Roman culture, they would be like gagging to this. Like, oh, What? We just conquered Germania. You know, we're pushing to the west and to the east. And this is something that very much bled into this area where there's the Greek history and the Turkish history and the, and the Hebrew history. And, and it would have been something that would have been hard for people to palate. And yet in the midst, he's saying live like Christ did. He was always thinking about others. And I get to see that. I get to witness that in our church family. I've been telling people that I've witnessed more grace, more love, more generosity this Christmas season than any year in my ministry career. I mean, we have this thing in our church. We talk about it every once in a while called the Benevolence Fund. And we have this Benevolence Fund. It is 100% given from our church for people within our church who are financially struggling. So it's like a separate fund, separate account. People give to it, and it goes to our, to our deacon benevolence board, and they, they, they distribute it where needs are given. And, and so we've been distributing to families in need, and, and we've been helping. And, and I remember every, every month I go back to Lynn. Uh, Lynn is our administrative assistant here. And I'm like, hey, Lynn, can you get that number for us? <laughs> you know, I don't know if we have anything left in that account that we can help this family. And every time she comes back and she says a number, I'm like, there's no way. <laughs> Who's given to this thing? We got people in this room, whether it's uh, Elder Vince Messina. He's over there. Everyone wave at him. I know he helps out with that. And we see these numbers, and we're just like, how are we going to be able to help so many families to pay a heat bill, a mortgage bill, a car pay, whatever it is? And, and yet... God continues to provide for the needs of our family. This week, I had someone put money in my hand and say, just, just pray about it and give it to who you guys feel called to give it to. 
And we're just like, okay. And so my wife and I, we prayed and we had talked to the staff and is there any, and just for that person to just say, I just feel like God's calling me to help someone out in this Christmas season. And they said this, but there's only one term. I'm like, oh, okay. They said, no one can know who I am. I'm like, then she slapped me. I'm like, oh, no, I'm joking. (laughs) None of that happens. Not on my notes either. Okay, here's the point. The point is this. And that's just a couple stories of God moving in our church family. And it's not just money. It's service. If people couldn't help out with the Thanksgiving boxes, they were here serving with the Thanksgiving boxes. And I'm just, they're swirling all around. And I see it. And that is the example to me as considering others as more significant than ourselves. I can't do everything. I can't do this, but I can do this. I can help in this way. I can make a difference in this way. And God has continued to work mightily. And that's someone who thinks of others, who thinks of the people in their world, who thinks of those individuals, even in our church family, they rub shoulders with, and they humbly consider, I wonder how they're doing. Wonder how's their soul. Wonder how they're doing financially. Praise God for those who take on that character to consider others, to care for others in many different ways. But in order to understand humility, we got to understand the opposite of humility. And the opposite of humility is is pride. And what is pride? Pride is this. Pride is a feeling of deep pleasure or satisfaction derived from one's own achievements. Look what I've done. I've done this. I woke up at 3 a.m. and hiked three miles in the snow carrying a 50-pound uh, stack of wood. And Right? Like, it, look what I've done. Look what I've achieved. Look what I've worked my life to get. Pride is not understanding our position, not understanding that the very breath that we have, the very energy we possess, the very cognitive abilities we use each day is a gift from God. And and those are things, those are gifts that he's given us. It's not bad to be driven. It's not bad to achieve. It's not bad to pursue academic degrees. It's not bad at all. But when it comes down to it, what is our motive? Why do we do it? Pride says, I got this, God. I got it before, I'll get it again. I'll take care of it. We must put to death the ambition and pride that exists in our hearts to make us the most important or main character of our lives. And so again, how do we do this? How do we live with humility? How do we approach this? And I'm going to give you some very practical ways. And one of the ways is to evaluate, to look at our lives, ask hard questions, look in the mirror and say, deep down, what is my motivation for this advancement? What's my motivation? Is it his glory? Is it my glory? Is it proving to dad that I'm worth something? Proving to others that, I, that I'm smart? And I'm gifted. Practical ways to practice considering 
our position, considering others, how we can serve, honor, help them, encourage them. And so I want to put up something I would love for you if you can, if you want to text me later uh, for this, uh, some ways that we can consider that. Uh, Not that one. (laughs) There it is. (laughs) What can you do this week without any recognition to yourself or promotion of your own life to care for, help, or serve another person? What can we do this week that doesn't promote anything about us? It's just to help and to serve others. And consider that. Consider that. I would say do it weekly. How can I consider where my friends are? How can I encourage where my friends are? In a world where there's not much encouragement, man, a text or a phone call or an email. Does anyone email anymore? Anyone? It's when you go on a computer. Okay, good. I've read about it in history books. Um, I'm joking. I'm joking. That's my go-to joke. Okay, here's the thing. The whole point is that that word of encouragement could be a lifeline this week. Man, I know it's been lifelines for me. It's like right at that moment where I'm like, whew, this is tough. I'm not even talking about ministry. I'm talking about my kids, right? Not my wife, she's perfect. (laughs) She's in the service. The whole point is this, man, the power of encouraging one another in a world that does not encourage naturally. Build up one another, consider our place. How can we minister and care to those people this week, serve them? Another thing to consider about following Jesus' example, is consider our mindset. Consider our mindset. How it says in Philippians about considering our mindset. And, and it talks about in Philippians 2.5, if you turn there, uh, we have the ESV version and the NASB version. Um, and this is what it says. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. I, I put up two translations this time because I do like how the New American Standard Bible says it as well. And it says this, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. And so really, with both of these translations, it all comes down to, to pursue that attitude that Christ has. He was always thinking about others. And so in our world, some people might say, oh, I'm humble because I, I, I'm not, I don't think high of myself. Well, that's not what I'm saying I'm not saying to, you know, think like, have this bloated view. But they're on the opposite side where they're self-deprecating. And that's a whole nother issue. Because one thing to say, man, I'm kind of a big deal. It's a whole nother thing to say I'm worthless. I'm a nobody. I have no significance. I don't have any skills. If I died tomorrow, no one would miss me. That's equally as bad. Because we're made in the image of God. We are image bearers. And so humility is not, okay, tear yourself down and call yourself worthless. No, 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 no. Don't speak about a created being of God that way. It's equally as sinful. It's not about thinking more of yourself. It's just thinking about yourself less. (laughs) 
It's amazing when we think about ourselves less, how much that transforms how we think about ourselves. Because if I'm the interpreter up here, it is scary. I give myself no grace, right? I'm difficult. I'm stubborn. But if I think about myself less, it allows me to think about others more. Sounds so simple, but it's true. It starts to change our heart to be more to the heartbeat of Christ. So how, how, do, how can we think about ourselves less? Paul says it takes a new mindset. We can seek to reframe our mindset away from our selfish tendencies, being self-absorbed, to have the mind of Jesus. I was thinking about this this week. And, and again, motives. Consider your mindset. Consider thinking about others. And I had a moment like this where we had this guy in my last church and he was just a humble man, a hard-working man, blue-collar man. And he had a neighbor, and his neighbor ended up losing his wife. So he was a widower, never had kids, had very distant relatives, but he was essentially alone. So they lived by each other for 20 years, and, and essentially they became friends. He had dinner with this guy every single night, him and his wife, every night. He would clean his gutters. He would shovel his driveway. He would take care of him. He'd take him to doctor visits. He just loved him. Didn't think anything of it. He was just, he became part of his family. His motive was, hey, he, I, I just love him like Jesus. Well, suddenly this man, the man who was serving his neighbor, he lost his job. And he lost his job because the, the position was doing unethical things and he was really struggling. I know we have people in this church that have positions that at times there are things that you're like, is that ethical? <laughs> is that right? I don't know if they're doing this right. Is this okay? Is that illegal? And this guy got to a point where he started speaking up. Hey, that's unethical. They fired him. They're like, all right, then you're done. Well, he was at an age where he was close to retirement, but he didn't have retirement. He was close to Social Security, but not, wasn't there yet. And so he became, it became very difficult for him to find a job. And the job market was much different at this time than where it is now. And so here he is. He can't find a job. He can't provide for him and his wife. His kids had grown up, but still he was at a place where they were struggling to pay the bills. And then suddenly his neighbor passed away. And so he's like, now my neighbor passed away, one of my friends, someone I loved, and now I don't have a job. Until about a month after his passing, a lawyer showed up at his door, knocked on his door and said, hey, um, can we talk? Uh, you're in the will for your neighbor. He's like, oh, okay. So he said, well, let's, let's sit down at the table. And he said, essentially, everything's yours. He's like, oh, okay. He said, well, the home, the car, and then he has, uh, let me see his account. He has $750,000 in the bank. <laughs> like, where's, where do I find some of these neighbors? Okay. Okay. <laughs> what's, what's wrong with me? Okay. <laughs> the whole point is this. I know that man. That man, his motives were never about that. He, he, didn't, he didn't even cross his mind. Never crossed his mind. He was just loving his neighbor. And God just dropped this in his lap. Want to know the first thing he did? This is how I get involved. 
he wrote a check for students to be scholarship for camp. So I'm in the room, and I'm sitting there, and it's me, this guy, and the senior pastor of the church. He's like, I don't even know what to do with this money. He's like, and he immediately turned and said, I need to send kids to camp. I never could afford to go. So he wrote me a check, dropped into my hand, and I was like, wow, okay, th thank you. It was incredible to see his heart, his motive. I mean, we have some financial people in this room. You could invest that. You could do this. You could have 10 times the amount. I mean, there's always something you could do. You could invest in, in this new, you know, I don't know, uh, Bitcoin, right? Everyone's talking. The whole point is this. There's always something you can do. But he said, what can I do to bless the world? And, and his mindset was so pure because he was thinking of others more than himself. He was thinking about how that could be used to impact the world. And so we need to consider our mindset whenever we do anything. Why do I do what I do? Is it to glorify me, to honor me, to, to raise my kingdom up, or is it to glorify him? Which leads to our final thing we need to consider is to consider your example. Look at what it says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, about considering your example. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so you have that word form, though he was in the form of the word for that in the Greek is morphe, almost like morphine or metamorphosis. But he did not count equality. The one who could have counted equality, the one who could have been arrogant, the one who could have been overconfident, and he did not even consider it something to be grasped. But what did he do? He emptied himself. Here's what I have. It's yours. Here, here's the gifts I have. They're yours. He didn't hoard it. He spread it, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, becoming obedient even to the cross. This is the part, again, we talked about the poetry, the rhythmic approach, that it's, it's believed by many scholars that this was a hymn, and the structure and the language Again, becoming fully human and suffering on our, on our behalf. And then in verse 6, it introduces us to the eternal glory and nature of God. Regard others as more important than yourself. And then it shifts to look at Christ, the ultimate example of humility. The one who didn't need to do it is the exact person that did it. The divine humility that he he became for us. Again, I love how D.A. Carson says it. How on the earth can anyone be arrogant when standing beside the cross? <laughs> when looking at the cross and saying, you gave everything. You gave literally your life. Who, who am I to be arrogant and, and to praise myself when you're the one who's deserving of it all. And, and there's three words in there that are the epitome of Jesus. And they are empty, 
serve, and obey. He, he, he could have. He could have called legions of angels. He, he could have said, God, please let this cup pass. But he instead said, let your will be done above mine. He was obedient. And, and that's not always easy. It's like, okay, I can do that. I can do that. I can. Ooh. Wait, you want me to love my enemies? <laughs> you want me to pray for those who persecute me? Like some of this stuff is difficult. And that's the power of God in us. His Holy Spirit starts to transform us, to shift us, to change us. And so when we talk about how in the world can I, can I be obedient to this or that or how can I forgive them or, or how can I start to, to love myself after I have done this, this, that's the power of God saying you can't do it, but let me do it. Let me carry that. Let me show you how to do it. You know, to, be em to empty yourself means to give up or pour out oneself. What more humble position than to pour yourselves out to help even losing status or position or approval or wealth. Humbling yourself. Understanding what is most important in this life. You know, what about serving to help and assist others? Are there people in our church? Are there people in our lives that we know that God has called us to serve or to help or to encourage or obedience knowing that obedience is a way we show that we love God you will know him if you obey if you follow his commands not just lip service we have a great example in Jesus a great lead on who we can follow you know, this week we had a, a funeral from someone who attends our church, someone we loved dearly. Her name was Carrie. Carrie Puckless. Wonderful, godly woman. Been by, uh, battling cancer for years. Man, she was so social. And that's coming from me. She was a social butterfly, a firecracker. And I got the opportunity uh, to visit her in the hospital days before her passing. And I went in there and I leaned over and I said, hey, Carrie, Pastor Winston's here. She opened her eyes and just started weeping. And then I started listening to what she was saying. In her faint voice, she said, I am so blessed kept listening, leaning over four or five times. Pastor, I'm so blessed. I am so blessed. I am so loved. So I'm sitting there. I'm like, wait a minute. I, I came here for her, <laughs> to help her. And she's blessing me. She's doing more in that one hospital visit than 100 sermons. She's showing me the hope of following Jesus. 
next thing she said was, I cannot wait to meet Jesus. I cannot wait. There's tears rolling down her eyes. Now I'm bawling. So we're there weeping together. I'm holding her frail hand. Maybe 80, 85 pounds at this point. We're alone in that room. And she's just smiling. She wasn't talking about, hey, can you go make sure my car still gets cleaned every week? (laughs) Can you make sure that I vacuum every Tuesday, laundry's on Thursdays, (laughs) Uh, make sure that you reinvest my uh, 401k? She just was so fixated on Jesus. And she's more alive now than she's ever been. Yes. Because we don't serve a God of the dead. We serve a God of the living. And we sing with joy. We worship with joy. Because that's one one place that we'll be one day. If we have given our lives to Christ, if we have followed him, surrendered, repented of our sins, and believed in him, we are said to have life and life eternal. And we'll see Carrie again. And grandma. (laughs) And auntie. Maybe a brother. Sister. Maybe mom and dad. Maybe a wife. We'll be able to see them again. And that's something we can sing with joy. So as we end today, we're going to worship. Right, Judd? We're going to worship. We're going to sing a good old Christmas song called Joy to the World. We're going to get loud up in this place, right? Can we get loud? Because we know where we're going one day, and we could celebrate that truth. Can I get an amen? All right, church, let me pray, and then we'll jump in. God, thank you so much that we can worship together, worship in truth, worship as a community, knowing that If we have made that commitment to you, we will one day be with you and we will no longer have to fight pain and tears and surgeries and bills and saying goodbye to loved ones. We will be able to be with the perfect, humble Savior for eternity. And so I pray right now, let us worship you knowing that your promises are true and you are faithful even when we are faithless. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Emmanuel with us. But most importantly, thank you for the cross. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Amen, church. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.